Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Today we're ending this series on Listen. Listen to what the Spirit has to say to the churches. I hope you've been enjoying that, these letters to the churches of Revelation. But we're going to end it with two letters at the same time, a tale of two churches today, Laodicea and Philadelphia. It's in Revelation chapter 3. If you want to grab your Bibles and go ahead and turn there. Uh, I want to actually start with the second church first, but the first church is a church on mission. Church number one is a church on mission, and church number two is a, a church in the middle, a church in the middle. Laodicea is the church in the middle, and it comes last in the Bible, but I want to start with it because it's got lots of bad news, and I don't like to end my Sunday on bad news. I prefer to end my Sunday on good news, so we're actually going to start with the church in the middle. You good with that? Revelation three fourteen. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. Salve to anoint your eyes so that you can actually see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is Laodicea the church in the middle. I think you can see why I'm calling them the church in the middle, right? They're neither hot nor cold. They're in the middle. They're lukewarm. They're not the hot springs of Hierapolis, which is nearby where people would go to soak in the healing mineral hot springs and, and, and heal their bodies. And they're not the cool and refreshing cold spring water coming out of Colossae, not very far away either, that they could drink straight out of the ground, that it was clean and good and refreshing and invigorating. They're neither one. This is the water of Laodicea that came down an aqueduct and traveled for miles in the open sun, heated by the sun, taking up the taste of the stone until it came into their houses and nobody liked the water in Laodicea. And so Jesus uses that physical condition of their town to show them their spiritual condition as well. You're the church in the middle. You're not hot. You're not cold. I wish you were one or the other. You're in the middle. Uh, let me just run through some of the descriptions in sort of a summary way. My own way of putting them, you can write them in bullet points if you want in your notes, about their external conditions that are concealing their internal realities. Uh, this 
church in the middle. First, uh, they feel strong, but they're weak. This church feels strong, but it's weak. Listen to the way they talk about themselves. I've prospered. I've become wealthy. I need nothing. I'm not weak. I'm strong. And that's kind of a summary of the whole picture of Laodicea. And their external appearance does look strong. But Jesus, the one who says his eyes are like a a, a flame of fire, sees right through those external appearances, right to the internal conditions and says, no, 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 you're not strong, you're weak. This church is praised by the world, but it's rebuked by Jesus Christ. So listen to all the things that they're praised for in a worldly sense, the the signals that the world looks towards for a good life, a got-it-together life, right? They're wealthy. They've risen up from where they once were. It's not just that they were wealthy like somebody handed it to them. No, I have prospered. In other words, I was somewhere low. Now I'm somewhere high. I was down there, I worked hard, I put things together, now I'm higher up. Look at what I have done. This is like the American dream story. This is the person we wanna elevate and look at and celebrate in worldly terms. But Jesus actually comes and rebukes them. Uh, Why? Well, first of all, This church thinks it sees clearly, but it's actually blind. It thinks it sees clearly, but it's actually blind. You know, the heart is deceitful above all things, Scripture tells us. So that whole mantra that's in our culture right now, we'll just follow your heart. No, no, don't don't do that. No, no. (laughs) You know, know, actually, don't do that. (laughs) Follow your heart. That will mess up your life. Don't you know some people, it seems like just about everybody that you know that actually follows that mantra, their life's a mess. Why? Because the heart is deceitful above all things. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The the fallenness of human nature has affected us. The selfishness of our hearts has has taken over. And so if we just follow our hearts, we're going to mess everything up again and again and again. And then say, well, I know I did it wrong last time, but I'm just going to follow my heart this time. That's what you did last time. And that deceitful heart tries to convince you, as soon as your heart is out of the right condition, it immediately starts to try to deceive you to tell you you're in the right condition. The the moment you withdraw from God, the heart tries to convince you that you're close to God. The moment that you close off from God is the moment your heart tries to tell you you're more open to God than this person or that person or that person, and by comparison, make you feel better about yourself. Uh, So this church is blind even though it thinks it can see. The scales that fall off of Saul of Tarsus' eyes are a physical sign of his spiritual reality. He was blind to what God was doing, blind to the fact that he was opposing God, blind to the fact that pride and arrogance and murderous rage were driving him. He couldn't even see it. And some of you have that story from a time ago, don't you? Laodicea thought it could see clearly. They even had a salve, a poultice that they were selling all over the region, part of how they made their money, that people would put on their eyes to help them see better. And they could help people see physically, but they sure couldn't help them see spiritually. It thinks it's covered, but it's uncovered. This church thinks it's covered, but it's uncovered. You know, we we can put on a glittering image that we present to the world. 
that covers over what's happening inside. You kind of you come to church and make sure everything's kind of where it should be and match everything up and put on the fine. I'm fine. How are you? You fine? Fine. How are you? We know how to do that, right? Now, I'm not speaking this in judgment, but in empathy, many of us walked in this morning holding it all together, but we know that there's something not quite right with that heart in there. If we pause for a moment and the music stops and the silence settles in and the spirit has a moment to speak and we don't allow our heart to keep deceiving ourselves, we say, wait a second, something's not quite right. I don't have my finger on it yet, but something's not quite right. Right, and Jesus sees through it. It's uncovered in his presence. We can't put a glittering image that confuses him. So this church thinks it's rich, but it's actually poor. And in worldly terms, this church is rich. I don't have time to tell you all the background material for Laodicea. I'll do that Wednesday. If you want to come out and get more stuff on Laodicea in Philadelphia, it's in my mind right now. I'm just going to hold it back. I'll share it with you Wednesday night. There's just too much good stuff here. But just in summary, they really are rich in this world. But Jesus is telling them that if for some reason, in some re- that they, have, they have not become rich in the next world. They are missing the greatest wealth transfer system of this life where we give up things for us for the sake of others. And whenever we give up things for ourselves for the sake of others, Jesus says, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. Scripture says, he who gives to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him with interest. Whoever's given up houses and wives and lives in this life will get back 10 times, 100 times over what they've given up for the sake of the kingdom of God. That's a promise in Scripture. Not for here, necessarily but for there for sure now if God can and it works out it happens here and he blesses us and yay but if he doesn't it's stored up there but Laodicea was missing that wealth transfer system they were building up for themselves for a short life not realizing that that was shortcutting themselves for the long life and he's saying I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. So here's a summary of all of that. They're comfortable in this life, miserable in the next. Why? I've come to believe that comfort, I've been thinking about this a while, I think comfort has a gravitational pull. Have you noticed this? That the more I turn my heart over to a desire for comfort, the more that gravitational pull has a mass to pull on. And it, it, it just pulls you down, almost to make you want to be horizontal, not just metaphorically, but I mean physically. You know, one of the most dangerous places in my house? The couch. Once I get on that thing, it's real stinking hard to want to get off that thing. Have you noticed that? It's super comfortable. Now, I may want to go down even more horizontal, kick the feet up, then even that's not enough, lay the feet sideways, put the head down, 10 minutes now. That couch is dangerous. Don't go there if you're planning on getting something else done, right? There is a gravitational pull to comfort. And the more we align our hearts towards a desire for this life to be comfortable, the more we will be drawn down by it. 
Comfort draws us down, but catch this. Meaning draws us forward. Comfort draws us down, but meaning or mission or purpose draws us forward. I like to think of it this way. Comfort has a gravitational pull, but meaning or mission is like a huge magnet way out in the future. This big, massive super magnet out in the future, and it has zero pull on me in the flesh. Magnets do not pull my flesh, right? Unless I'm bionic man or something which I'm not, clearly. That's, that's my vertical. I just gave it to you. But if I put on the full armor of God, and the helmet of salvation reminds me that my hope is really there, not here, that there is an eternal glory set aside for me, that there are eternal riches in Christ Jesus that he wants to lavish on me, that there is an inheritance for me as an elder son, not even a younger son. He's going to give me the same as I, would, as I was an elder son that's there for me in glory. That helmet of salvation leads me forward, that blessed breastplate of righteousness which protects me against the desires of sin and leads me forward towards those things that may not do me any good now but will do me great good then, leans me forward as that magnet pulls on that metal, that belt of truth that holds it all together that says, I'm not going to let you lie to yourself, Dave. I'm not going to let you keep lying to yourself. When you're sinning, I'm going to tell you you're sinning. When your heart is wrong, I'm going to tell you your heart is wrong. When you're lazy, I'm going to tell you you're lazy, not out of judgment, but out of hope for your future. And that pulls me forward. And then those feet in the gospel of peace just kind of, kind of got to keep up. They just got to keep up with where that's pulling me. Mission, meaning, draws me forward like a magnet from eternity. But so often this world tempts us to exchange meaning for the sake of comfort. Have you ever spent a whole day pursuing comfort and come to the end of the day and say, what did I do today? Nothing. Now don't get me wrong, you need a Sabbath, you need to rest. But we rest so that we can get up and get back at it again. So their life has meaning and has purpose and accomplishes something for somebody in the world, right? Yeah, well, they were comfortable in this life. They're going to be miserable in the next. I don't want to be a church in the middle. I want to be a church on mission, don't you? Yes. Let's turn to Revelation 3, 7. Kind of skip back up to the first church that we're doing last. This is the church in Philadelphia. If Laodicea gets the worst rebuke of any of the churches, and it does, Philadelphia gets the best commendation of any of the churches, perhaps. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word, not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews but are not. They lie. Behold, I will make them come down and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who will dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. I'll write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, that's a nice letter. 
That's a much better letter to the church on mission. Let me describe for you quickly this church on mission and why I think that they are on mission. It seems weak in force, first of all, but it's strong in endurance. It seems weak in force, but it's strong in endurance. It says, I know you have little power. Did you read that? I know you have little power, but you have held fast to my word. Remember junior high? Sorry to reference trauma, but you remember junior high, middle school? Uh, maybe if, if it was like for, if it was like, uh, for me, what it's for you, uh, in junior high, we had these little pull-up contests. Do you remember those? And there'd be this one dude that could do like 25 pull-ups, bang, 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 and stop just because he knew he was far away from everybody, and everybody's impressed. Remember that? And, and most people couldn't even get close to it. Now, now forgive me, there's a little gender moment here. I'm not, I don't want to make a stereotype, but this is just how it went. The, the next day, we had the, uh, the bar hang, what's that called, when you just have to hold up there and hold on? Flexed arm hang, what do you call it? Flexed arm hang, there you go, thank you. And you got to hold on up there, right? And half the girls in the class beat that dude that could do 25 pull-ups because they just hold on and 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 hold on. Force means you can move something quickly and powerfully. Endurance means you can hold on through pain for a long period of time. Laodicea, they were movers and shakers. They had power and they had wealth and you could see that power coming through. But they were weak in endurance and they gave in when comfort diminished and pain increased. But Philadelphia, they may have seemed weak on the outside. They weren't movers and shakers and perhaps they were actually materially poor. We're not quite sure. But one thing we do know, they held on through pain. They kept the word of faith. They kept the word of truth. They kept faithful to the way of Jesus Christ. And because of that, even though they seemed weak in this life, they're going to be elevated in the next. They were attacked by the religious It says those who say they're a part of the synagogue, but they lie. They're attacked by the religious. They're opposed by the world, but praised by Jesus Christ. Opposed by the world because they were holding fast to the word of God. You know, in this world, always, this is not new, there are those who want to, because they want to reach culture, they bend Jesus all the way over to the world. And then once they're in that position, they look at others who follow Jesus, who are holding fast to the word of truth, holding fast to the word of faith, holding holding fast to the way of Jesus Christ, and they mock them, they belittle them, they demean them, they even attack them because they haven't bent Jesus all the way down to where he's almost indistinguishable from the world. And the standard is now... That's not new. That's not going away. Our job is to hold on. Did someone tell you that Christianity was comfortable? That didn't come from here. Did somebody tell you that if Jesus was happy with you, he's going to make everything good and happy and unicorns and rainbows? That didn't come from here. Did somebody tell you that if you just give your life over to Jesus, all your problems will be solved? No, Jesus isn't the solution to all our problems. Sometimes he is the problem. And we're like, Jesus, are we sure? We sure? Okay. 
I want to participate in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. And therefore, to somehow attain the resurrection of the dead. That came from here. I do not consider these light momentary troubles worth comparing to the great and glorious riches we have in Jesus Christ. That came from here. He had to open the word for them from Moses all the way through the prophets and the law and the writings to say it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and die and then to attain the resurrection from the dead. That came from here. Have you been reading those eight, nine, ten chapters today? I hope you keep doing that. I want to keep going to the New Testament once a month all year long. I know we're done with the journal this week. and I'm going to keep going. It's changing me. They also had a door of opportunity given to them that no one could shut. Listen to what it says. Behold, I said, set before you, verse 8, behold, I've set before you an open door which no one can shut. I know you have but little power, but you've kept my word. Most scholars believe this was a door of mission. We'll talk more about that on Wednesday. But there were highways built by the Roman legions that were relatively new that made travel safer and faster and made the expansion of the mission more possible than it had ever been before. Many scholars believe that the open door went down one of these roads. But it was more than just a a physical condition. God's spiritual anointing was on them. His presence was with them. His smile was upon them. His favor was with them. Like, Like Jesus standing up in heaven for Stephen when he was being martyred. He didn't stay seated for Stephen. He stood up. The Lord of all creation stood up and stepped forward and looked down on him while he was dying and said, Mmm, mmm, you'll be up here soon. You'll be up here soon. Hold on. I see you down there. You'll be up here soon. That door of opportunity for the expansion of mission, even if pain comes with it, (laughs) nobody else could shut it. You know, we have some doors of opportunity for us that I think are pretty exciting. Pretty exciting. And and sometimes they, they start small. We were just with a a group of people at Spring Hill in Columbia this week. We just had a first meeting this last week for a possible church plant there. We call it a community group because it's too large to be a life group and too small to be a church. But it's on its way. I wish you could have heard the pastor who's allowing us to use their building. He was just filled with faith for what may be coming out of there, thrilled with the spirit in the room, thrilled with the spirit of our people. And he turned to one of his leaders and said, this is just who they are. This is who you are in Christ Jesus. These Unite Walks, I've heard story after story after story of people's hearts and lives changed by that simple conversation with someone who looks different than you, walks in a different path than you, lives a different life than you. Walking back from that prayer walk changes hearts. Even politicians and leaders in our government officials, they're saying it changes their hearts. That's a door of opportunity open for us. And I'm excited about that. For Palm Sunday, uh, there's more, but we got to keep going. Let me summarize this church. They're uncomfortable in this life, glorious in the next. Set up in the temple of God, a pillar, God's name written on them, God's identity planted on them. Everybody who just looks at them and says, oh, there's one of the blessed ones. They must have been through some stuff for him. Look at them. They're marked by him. They never leave his presence. They may be uncomfortable in this life. They're glorious in the next. I would rather, tell me if this is true of you, I would rather be uncomfortable on mission than comfortable and meh. I kind of want to call this the meh church. 
What kind of church is it? Well, it's meh. It's meh. I would rather be uncomfortable on mission than comfortable in life with a meh life, wouldn't you? Uh, maybe I'm alone in that. But that's what I want. Let me tell you about the two doors, though. There's a door for each church. For this church in Philadelphia, there are doors uh, in this world that are too high for human hands. And Philadelphia found one of them. Like a little kid up on their tippy toes trying to reach the handle in the hotel so they can go wander the halls. Thank goodness they can't until they're ready. God knows when we're ready and he opens the door. And sometimes we didn't even know there was a door there. We just thought it was part of the wall. And he puts in that key of David, that master key of the Messiah, and opens a part of the wall we didn't know moved. And out it swings into a door of opportunity we didn't even see coming. And we say, boy, I thought this was a long hallway to nothing. And look at that. Look what God just did. I thought this hallway went on forever. But there's also another door. It's the door that's mentioned for Laodicea. Did you catch the door in the, in, the, in the verses for Laodicea? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open their heart, I will come in and sup with them and he with me. Let me put it this way. There is a door handle in my heart that only fits my hands. There are doors in this world that have handles too high for me to lift and for me to move. But there is a door in my heart that God in his sovereignty has said, I won't even move. I could, but I won't. He will not control me. He will not control you. He will not force himself on you. All he's going to do is this. He won't pound. Just this. And you can ignore it. You can stay on your couch. But he wants in. Only you can open the door. Only you know. No one else in your life may know. All the external presentation may look great and glorious and fine. And only you know that there's parts of your heart that have been locked away from the Lord that you will not allow him in, no matter how many times. He patiently taps on the door of the heart. And here's the most important truth of this morning. Don't miss it. Please don't miss this. God will not open his door until I open mine. God won't open that door that's too high for human hands until I open that door that only fits my hand. Now, he starts the whole thing. My heart's deceitful above all things. I wouldn't even know he was real if he didn't knock. I wouldn't even know he was there if he didn't knock. But he will not open that door. And the purpose and meaning and significance that my life is designed for will be missed if I stay on that couch. And I could lay my head down in death and say, what did I do with my life? I, I squandered it. I was distracted I pursued pleasure. I gave up meaning for comfort. I chased after wealth and material things, and all of them seem empty now. What have I done? Or I can lay my head down on my death pillow and say, 
may look pretty weak and poor now, but baby, something's coming. I've been making deposits day after 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 day. I've been trading comfort for mission day after day after day after day. I've been uncomfortable for long enough. I know that God has made a promise to me. I know his name is written on me. I know the destiny I have for me there, and it's drawn me forward like a magnet. Let me cross the river. I'm ready. That's how I want to die. How do you want to die? Comfortable or fulfilled? Would you stand with me? I don't know how you came in today. I really don't. I have zero judgment no matter what you came from. No matter what. Trust me, I've heard just about everything I think I never hear. This is your house because he's your God. It's not somebody else's. And this is your moment. Would you bow your head with me? Every head bow, every eyes closed. Every eye all the way up to the sound booth, the tech team. I'm going to stay real still now so the cameraman can close the eyes. This is just you and the Lord. If you know that there is some part of your heart that God is knocking on and he's tapping, he's saying something's not quite right there. Even if you've been in church every week the last 30 years, but he's saying, look, I'm knocking. Would you let me in? Let me fully in. I'll be fully yours if you'll be fully mine. Let me in. Is something not quite right there? This might be your first time in church. That whole gamut. I still believe it's your moment. If you would say to the Lord, Lord, you know what? I hear that knock. And I want to let you in. If you'll help me know how. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. I want to make sure. It's just you and him. Slip your hand up to him as a way of saying, Lord, I'm wanting to let you in right now. There's something not quite right. Yeah, I see all of you. Oh, goodness. Yep, the Lord sees you. Just lift your hand up to him. It's all right. There's no shame in it. Yeah. All the way up to the back. Yeah. It's a powerful moment. This is your moment. This is an exchange that is happening right now. You pray something like this to him. You can keep your hand lifted if you want. You can put it down if you like, as long as you're opening the door of your heart. You say a prayer like this your way. You can say it under your breath. You can say it in your mind. He can hear your thoughts. Lord Jesus, I want you to have my whole heart. I don't want you to have part of it. Uh, There's been some ways I think I've been tricking myself. But I hear you. I sense you knocking. I want you to come in. I want to be fully yours. I want to give you my whole life, not part of it. Now you start telling him what you need to turn around for him. You start telling him what you need to let go of. I can't know what it is.
You tell them, Lord, I don't want to withhold my greed. I give that to you. You tell them, Lord, I don't want to withhold my lust. I give that to you. You tell them, Lord, I don't want to withhold my gluttony or my malicious speaking or my, my, my gossip or my slander. I don't want to withhold my jealousy or my overcompetitive nature. I don't, want to, I don't want to withhold any part of what I am. I don't want to even withhold just my desire for comfort, my selfishness. Lord, I, I want to give that to you. You tell them. And ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of Jesus Christ coming to dwell within you. He will come in and he'll commune with you if you invite him in. And now, if you're open to doing it, I'd like you to lift both of your hands if you're right with God and just say, Lord, uh, we just want to pray together and say, Lord, we are your church. We don't want to be a church of meh. We don't want to be a church of comfort. We want to be a church on mission. We want these hands that we are lifting to you to be put on mission for you. We don't want our calendars to be filled with all kinds of distractions and not be filled with purposeful activity for you. We want to make a great exchange. We want to make the great exchange of all eternity where we exchange the earthly things for the heavenly things, the temporary things for the eternal things, the minor things for the major things. We lift these hands to you saying, Lord, set this church on fire. Make this a hot church, not a cold church, not a lukewarm church. Make this a hot church. Open a door for mission for us that only you can open. Put us on a pathway that only you can set us on. Give us the endurance to hold up weary hands and aching arms when anybody else would put them down. We want to hold them up and say to God be the glory, not to our glory, not for our name, but for your name. We want your mission to move forward, not just for our sake, but for the sake of the world. We give ourselves to you, Lord Jesus, in your holy name we pray. Amen and amen. Uh, don't just go to church. Why do that? Yes. Chase God. Yes. Chase God. Yes. He's worth it. Yes. Amen. Amen. Amen.